And I should have started off with Happy New Year. That's what I should have said, uh, but I'm not, uh, I, I don't know, it didn't, it went over my head really quick. So, uh, but I'm glad to see you here. Praise the Lord to be in church on the, on the first Sunday of the year, first day of the year. Praise the Lord, not just the first Sunday of the year. And, uh, and I want to encourage you, uh, today is January 1st. You can still start. There are Bible reading schedules on the back table, and I want to encourage you, go back and get one, and, uh, and purpose to read through your Bible in a year. It will help you. It will bless you. Uh, if you read it and spend time reading it, uh, the Lord will bless you, and it will help you in your life. So I want to encourage you to do that, and uh, it's not too late. And you know what? Even if, it, even if you forgot this week and next week, it's still not too late to start. It's never too late to start reading the Word of God. And so I want to encourage you to start reading the Word of God. Get your Bible reading schedule. And it just happens to work nice if you start in the beginning of the year and then you finish up the end of the year. It's just a good marker and that will help you. Second Kings chapter number two. Also pray for Brother Jeremy Sharpetta. He's sick as well today, not feeling well. And a lot of, a lot of people sick and, and stuff. So keep people in prayer. Uh, you, maybe you know of some or you see of some and uh, keep them in your prayers. And, and I know that they'll certainly appreciate that. Second Kings chapter number two, we're going to jump back into our lessons on Elisha and, uh, and studying really the life of Elisha. We have a short passage that we're going to look at this morning, uh, but it's an important passage. And there are some important lessons that we can learn from this short passage in the Bible. Sometimes we think because a passage is brief, that it's of lesser importance. Sometimes we think that the uh, the the shorter the they're called minor prophets of the uh, Old Testament. Well, they're minor, they're smaller, so they're of lesser importance. That's not true, and we need to be careful of thinking well because it's a short passage or a short portion of scripture or for some other reason that it's of lesser importance. And uh, there are certainly a lot of very important passages in the Bible that are very short. And uh, also people tend to skip unpleasant portions of Scripture. And this is certainly not a pleasant portion of Scripture per se, uh, but, but there is a lot that can be learned even from unpleasant portions of Scripture. And so we need to be careful that we don't skip short portions, we don't skip unpleasant portions, but the Bible says uh, that, that all the Scripture is, is given for our, for, uh, for our learning and for all of those things, and so it's important that we take every part of it, all right? Second uh, Kings chapter number 2, and verse number 23. And he, that would be Elisha, and he went up from thence unto Bethel, and as he was going by the way, there came forth little children out of the city and mocked him and said unto him, Go up, thou bald head. Go up, thou bald head. And he turned back and looked on them and cursed them in the name of the Lord. And there came forth two she-bears out of the woods and tear forty and two children of them and he went from thence to Mount Carmel, and from thence he returned to Samaria. Let's stop right there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you, Father, for the privilege that we have to start this year off 
in church. God, what a blessing. God, I pray that you would just bless. I pray, Father, that you would encourage. I pray that you would strengthen each and every believer that's here. And Father, if there's one that does not know you, God, I pray that the, the Spirit would touch their heart and show them their need for salvation. And God, will be careful to thank you, give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we look at this passage, uh, and, and let me give you the, let me bring you up to speed on where we're at, all right? Because we kind of jumped into this passage and it jumps right into the middle of the story. And so maybe uh, we've lost track over Christmas break of where we were at, what we were studying. But really, Elisha uh, has just witnessed Elijah being taken up in the whirlwind. You remember that. And, and of course, Elijah gave Elisha the promise. He said, hey, if you see me go, whatever you ask, uh, it'll be done unto you. And, and so Elisha said, hey, I want a double portion of your spirit. And, uh, and so Elijah says, all right, the Lord will do that. And, and so Elijah then is taken up in that, uh, in that whirlwind. And Elisha is, of course, there and he witnesses that. And, and, uh, and so as he leaves then, he goes back to the Jordan River and he's standing there before the bank of the Jordan. And, of course, the, the mantle from Elijah fell. And uh, so he had picked that up and taken it with him. And as he's standing there at the Jordan, he takes the mantle of Elijah and he smites the, the Jordan River and he says, where is the God of Elijah? And of course, that was uh, the, the first miracle that we see that Elisha uh, was doing. And it was a personal miracle. And God then takes and parts the Jordan River. And Elisha goes over on dry ground, just like Elijah and Elisha had done when they came from the other side. And so uh, we see that God is, God's hand is upon Elisha and that, that he's with him. Then he goes up to Jericho and he's there at Jericho. And at Jericho, the water waters were, uh, were no longer good waters. They were uh, bad waters. There was no fruit in the fields and, and, and there were all kinds of problems because of the problem of the water. And the men come to Elisha and they, they, they ask him, they say, hey, uh, we've got a problem with our water. Can you do something? And then Elisha takes and he heals their water. And of course, that's through God. God does the healing, but Elisha was there. And, and so that would be the second miracle. And, uh, and then now he is leaving um, Jericho and he's heading to Bethel. And, uh, and I want to just stop and I want to look in verse 23. He says, and he went up from thence unto Bethel. And Bethel is an important city in Scripture. Uh, matter of fact, John Butler said it is the second most mentioned city in the Bible. Uh, the only Bible that's mentioned more than that is Jerusalem, which is mentioned a, a lot of times. It's like more than triple the amount of times that Bethel is mentioned in Scripture. But, uh, uh, but nonetheless, Bethel is a very important city. And I want us to notice the place of this cursing, uh, the place of this cursing. And it's Bethel. Uh, what's the area around Bethel like? And, and we can kind of imagine this. Uh, I did not get to go to Bethel while I was in Israel, but, uh, but we can kind of get a grasp and an idea of what Bethel is like in the topography. Uh, it's kind of a rocky, rocky mountainous region, and uh, there's some clean water springs uh, that are there. Matter of fact, if it had not been for the clean water springs, then Bethel probably would not have been a desirable place to have a city. 
but there were desirable springs there. And, uh, and so there was obviously a forest that stood close by, a wooded area uh, as well. Now I want you to imagine uh, Elisha traveling to Bethel from Jericho. Now he didn't just, you know, jump in his car. And, uh, and hit the old start button and, uh, and punch the accelerator and drive through the mountains and arrive at Bethel. You have to remember in Bible times, they walked and, and travel was not an easy task. Matter of fact, he traveled 15 miles and there was a 3,000 foot difference between Jericho and Bethel where he went. He w and it was not downhill, okay? It was uphill the whole way. And, uh, and so could you imagine uh, traveling all that way and going uphill? Uh, and then by the time he arrives at Bethel, uh, here he meets this, this, this crowd uh, that is mocking and sneering at him as if the travel and the journey had not been enough to wear him out, but then to, to, to face this crowd uh, of people that were totally against him. And listen, sometimes after a victory in our life, and sometimes uh, after maybe a long journey. Hey, listen, sometimes the devil will come and attack us at those very moments. And sometimes at hard points in our life. And I'm reminded of the verse in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 3. It says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Paul was admonishing Timothy. He was encouraging Timothy. And he was telling him, hey, uh, that there are going to be hard times in your life. Sometimes we are prone to think that just because we're a Christian, just because we're serving the Lord, or just because we're living for the Lord and doing what is right, that everything should go well. Listen, that's like the furthest thing from the truth. Uh, that's not promised in the Word of God. Uh, matter of fact, we will have hardships, we will have trials, we will have difficulties in our life. And we're admonished, as Paul admonished Timothy, to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Listen, we find here that uh, Elisha was enduring that hardness, even in traveling from uh, that 15-mile journey, going from uh, Jericho up to Bethel. And, and so we notice the place of the cursing. We notice the area of the cursing. I want you to notice this about Bethel, too, and that is the apostasy that had taken place. What is Bethel? Bethel, you may know this, uh, means the house of God. How was it founded? Where, where did Bethel come from? Well, if you go back in Scripture, uh, all the way back to the book of Genesis, you'll find that Jacob, you remember Jacob uh, was, was in Bethel. He was in this place, and he had the dream uh, of the ladders and, and the angels descending and going up and down those ladders. And it was there that Jacob wrestled with God. And it was a very spiritual place. And when he left that place, he said, he piled some rocks up and he said, this place is going to be called Bethel. Hey, this is a place where I met God. This is a place that is important. And listen, from that time forward, Bethel had a great spiritual significance and it was a great place in all reality. However, it did not remain a great place forever. 
We tend to think of Bethel. We tend to think of the house of God. We tend to think of a very spiritual place, a very good place. But listen, as time went on, it became a folly to Israel, the place of Bethel. What happened in Bethel? Well, after the kingdom was divided, you remember that Solomon ascended to the throne after David, and then Solomon then passed on, and his son Rehoboam then took the throne. But uh, but then he was counsel, or he the people asked, "Hey, are you going to raise our tax?" Taxes or lower them. And, uh, and, and he said, uh, he took counsel, of course, with the young people, the older people, and he decided, hey, I'm going to raise your taxes. And, uh, and the people got upset and the kingdom divided. And, and only uh, that little area uh, stayed with that kingdom and the rest, the northern kingdoms, uh, they followed a man called Jeroboam. And all of this is important because Jeroboam was a matter of fact, if you know anything about Jeroboam, the Bible calls him uh, Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that made Israel to sin. That's his title that he bears throughout Scripture. And so he was not a good person. And matter of fact, when he ascended to the throne, one of the first things that he did is he said, man, I don't want my people going back to Jerusalem because maybe they'll see Rehoboam and maybe Rehoboam's going to be a better king than me. And I don't want them going back to Rehoboam. So to substantiate his kingdom, he said, I'm going to create a new religion. And he started there in Bethel and he established a new religion there in Bethel and in Dan. Dan was uh, to the north. Bethel was to the south. And, and he figured, hey, this will be far more convenient for my people. And he started idolatry in the nation of Israel. Now, listen, there, you could say a lot of things, but outright idolatry went against the commandments of God. Any kind of other worship would have been against the commandments of God. But he went uh, directly against what God had ordained and said, Hey, thou shalt have no other God before me. Uh, thou shalt make thyself no graven image. And he goes, and he goes directly in, in, in direct disobedience to the word of God and establishes idolatry right there in Bethel, the house of God. And one would think, boy, then, uh, you know, that would not go over well. But over time, it eventually established itself. And listen, it was right there out of Bethel that, uh, that, that one fellow, Hiel, uh, rebuilt Jer or, or, yeah, Jericho that was cursed. You remember that Jericho was a cursed city and Hiel rebuilt it during the, during the reign of Ahab. Uh, that was a little bit later. And listen, where was he from? If you go back and find his name in Scripture, because he's only mentioned, I think, once, uh, it'll say the Bethelite. He was from Bethel. And it had become an apostate place because of the uh, religion that uh, Jeroboam had placed there. And, and listen, as you think about that, think about this. Many places that are godly, can go apostate. And we have got to guard against apostasy. What is apostasy? It's going contrary to the Word of God. It's going completely against what God would teach. And listen, it's happened in our nation. I mean, you go back, I, I went back just for fun and looked it up, and Harvard and Yale and some of our other very primary uh, colleges uh, were started as Bible colleges to teach the Word of God. Listen, I, I was looking up just because I was curious, what do they teach now? And boy, they're evolution, they are anti-God. They still have a religious division, they still have it, but man, it is so far from God. 
that it is not even funny. And what happened? Apostasy. Apostasy crept in. Hey, there are churches today that are that are going apostate by allowing uh, all these new things to come in. And I'm not against new things. It's the new year. (laughs) You can't stop that. Uh, I'm not against new things, but I am against worldliness. I am against wickedness. I am against things that are going to drag a church down into the gutters where the world would have us to be. And I am telling you this, that we have, be on, we have to be on constant guard against apostasy in our own lives as Christians on a regular basis because the world is constantly pulling us and trying to draw us away from God. We've got to be on guard against it. Bethel, the house of God, had become an apostate place. Matter of fact, later on, uh, the book of Hosea refers to it as Beth Haven, which means house of vanities. In other words, he was sarcastically saying, hey, it's no longer the house of God. It is a house of vanities. It's apostate. It has removed itself from where it once was. And we need to be on guard uh, lest we become apostate. And we find that Bethel was the place of the cursing. Kind of funny because you would think in a place like Bethel, it would be a godly place and it should have been a godly place, but it certainly was not. We'll see that, uh, that more clearly as, as we go through this lesson. Not only do I want you to see the place, but I want you to notice the provocation of the cursing. What, what provoked it? What caused them uh, to, to, to curse um, Elisha? Look with me in verse number 23. And I want us to understand a couple things out of these verses. The Bible says in verse 23, And he went up from thence unto Bethel. And as he was going up by the way, there came forth little children out of the city and mocked him and said unto him, Go up, thou bald head, go up, thou bald head. Now just a simple reading of this passage, it would be very easy. And I have often thought, what is, I've been very confused by this, this passage. And I thought, and I pictured in my mind a group of school children playing on a uh, playground and, and Elisha walks by and, and they begin to mock him. And, and that's a, a misguided uh, thought. That's not, that's not right. Uh, and what do I mean by that? Well, let me help you understand it a little bit. And let me just say this, that many, uh, many commentaries are critical of the King James Bible. I am not critical of the King James Bible. I think they did a fine... They did a perfect job in giving us the word of God. And so many, many commentators, I'm like, throw them out. I'm not interested in, in, in their opinions about the King James translation because I'm firm that we have the King James Bible, uh, the Bible, and we don't need another Bible. Uh, and so what, what's some of this? Let's, let's go through this and understand. Let's see these culprits who provoked the cursing. Uh, as we read little children, uh, we, our minds, immediately go to little young children. Okay. But there are cases in the King James Bible where children, children, just the word children means son of. I'm a son of Edward Rice. You probably have met my dad. He's been here in the past. He's preached here and you know him. And I'm 40 some years old, but I am still his child. I came from him. 
Um, one, of the, one of the most common uses uh, that we find all throughout Scripture, and I'll give you this one first, is the children of Israel. You find that all throughout Scripture. But it does not mean just the little kids of Israel. It means those who, were, who came from Abraham. It can refer to the old people. It can refer to the young people. It can refer to all the people and the nation, generally speaking, that came from Abraham. And he calls them the children of Israel. Save your spot here in, in 2 Kings and go with me to 1 Kings chapter number 3. 1 Kings chapter number 3. I want you to see this in Scripture. 1 Kings chapter number 3 and verse number 7. We have Solomon is about to ascend the throne and, and, uh, and, and he is uh, conversing with God in 1 Kings chapter number 3. And look at what it says there in, in verse number 7. 1 Kings chapter number 3 and verse number 7. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant, this is Solomon speaking, let's start over. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant instead of David my father, and I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered, for, and nor counted for multitude. And then he goes on in verse 9, request for understanding. But you notice there in verse number 7 that he refers to himself as a little child. Solomon is not a little child as we would portray or think of a little child. What does that mean? He's referring to himself as a little child because he is saying, hey, I don't have the mental capacity to deal with this. I don't have the ability to rule the nation of Israel. And therefore, he refers to himself as a little child. Sometimes, in, sometimes when I'm picking on my son, he's not here, so I'll use him. I don't use my kids as illustrations generally, but sometimes when I'm picking on my son or whatever, and, and, uh, and I remember he, he would scream, and I'd say, man, you scream like a little girl. And sometimes I just say, you little girl, and, and he is not a girl, and he's not little, but I'll call him that to kind of insult him, kind of, maybe it's provoking your children to wrath, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't do that, but, uh, but, but, Nonetheless, it's that insinuation of, hey, I'm insulting and I'm picking on you. It's that same idea that Solomon uses with himself. God, I'm but a little child. I'm not capable of carrying out this task that you have put upon me. And now go back to our text. Uh, we could go to another one. You can mark it down if you want to go there and see uh, Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse number 6. Jeremiah says the same thing about himself. And he says, uh, then said I... Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child, he says. And so we find references where adults will refer to themselves as children. And what I, as we look at this passage, and the more you think about this passage, and the more that you uh, meditate on this passage, I want you to think about this, that I think it is more of an insult that they are giving to these people that have ridiculed and attacked Elisha, the man of God. And when he calls them this in verse number 23, he, he says, and 
as he was going up by the way, there came forth little children out of the city and mocked him. In other words, they were not, they were not mature in their minds. They were not mature in their thoughts. Matter of fact, they were very uh, folly-ridden and foolish in their thoughts to mock the very man of God. And so, uh, in my opinion, and it's just my opinion, you don't have to agree with me, uh, that, that it is a, it's an insult to refer to them as little children. That's what I think. And so, uh, I do not believe it was a group of little school-aged children playing on a playground. Matter of fact, I do believe that was probably an older group. And we'll look at some of this and, and, and kind of work through this. Uh, but, but I hope that helps as we think about this. They were ignorant fools for mocking the very uh, man of God. And listen, apostasy brings with it uh, many falls, many pitfalls. And one of them is that making fun of God. God and making fun of Christians and making fun. Hey, listen, what do all the higher education institutes do anyways? Them Christians say they don't know anything. They read that Bible and believe God. They're not scientific. They don't study. They don't that they mock and they make fun. And apostasy will bring people to that point in their life. And listen, we find that Bethel was an apostate place, and out of it, these young people bring that attitude against the very man of God. Look at their conduct, uh, which they provoked uh, Elisha with. Look with me in verse number 24. The Bible says, or verse 23 again uh, in the middle, and mocked him and said unto him, go up thou bald head, go up thou bald head. Verse 24 clarifies, and he turned back and looked on them. And listen, you know what took place? is Elisha's walking, and as he's going up to Bethel, uh, I don't know if they came out of the woods behind him. I don't know if they were standing off and they just didn't talk to him as he went by them. But nonetheless, it was not until after he got by them that they started mocking him and saying, Go up, thou bald head. And Elisha had to turn around and look behind him to see these people that had been mocking him and making fun of of him. And so we can nonetheless, if we don't agree on anything else, we can certainly agree on the fact that it was taking place behind his back. And listen, they were looking to make fun, to ridicule, to mock the man of God. I've always been taught it is absolutely foolish to mock a preacher. And listen, we ought to be careful of that. Even, I'm telling you, there are, there are preachers that I don't agree with, but it's not my job to run around and ridicule and mock and tear them down. That's not my responsibility. God is plenty big enough to take care of His servants and take care of the man of God that we don't have to run around and make sure that they're doing what is right. And we need to be very careful about opening our mouth and mocking the man of God. These, these I believe, young people were, were mocking the very man of God. They were ridiculing the man of God. Listen, uh, it's aimed directly at, at a flaw in Elisha. Elisha was apparently bald. 
and, uh, and maybe he had something that caused him to go bald. Maybe he was completely bald. Maybe he was partially bald. We don't know. Uh, we don't have a picture of him. We don't know what he looked like. But nonetheless, they were mocking that. Can I say this? It is extremely easy to find something to pick on people about. It's easy. Matter of fact, you can pick anything. I'm, I'm an open target. I mean, it's, man, you could, I'm, I, could, I can load your gun for you if you want ammo against me. I mean, I know all my faults. And, and, and in reality, we all have them. And anybody could point and anybody could easily pick us apart because of our flaws. But listen, it was more than just picking him apart because of his flaws. It was because he was a man of God. And they were going against him. They were not just mocking the fact that he was a bald man, uh, but they were mocking the fact uh, that he was a man of God. As some insinuate that when they said, go up, thou bald head, it was in reference to Elijah having been taken up in that whirlwind. And they're saying, hey, you go up too, bald head. You, you just go on to heaven, like kind of get out of here. We don't want you around here. And, and it was a mocking uh, thing that they were doing. Listen, many times, uh, and I understand this, many times when people ridicule a man of God, they're upset at his message. It's not, it's not him. Oh, you know, you might, well, he's bald, you know, hey, bald head. No, they weren't mad that he was bald head. I mean, that didn't really bother them. I mean, at all. It, it was more the message that Elijah, Elisha would stand for, the fact that he had walked with Elijah for all that time, and, and for the fact that he was against the idolatry of Baal worship, just like Elijah was, and, and the fact that he stood with God and said, hey, we are not going that direction, and it rubbed them the wrong way, and they did not like it, and therefore they mocked the man of God because they did not like the message of God, and ultimately, it all boils down to they were not right with God. They didn't like that. They didn't like being told that they were wrong. They didn't like uh, even, even if he didn't tell them directly that they were wrong. They didn't like the insinuation that they were doing wrong or living wrong. And that did not go well with them. Therefore, they, uh, they derided and they ridiculed uh, Elisha in this passage and they mocked him. And I want you to notice this, and I find this very fascinating. This is, this is really uh, uh, the conclusion of why we establish some of that. Look at in verse number 24. The Bible says, and he turned back and looked on them and cursed them in the name of the Lord. And there came forth two she-bears out of the woods and tear forty and two children of them. He didn't say little that time. He just said children. And again, children is a generic term for uh, just being a son of. The children of Israel, the child of David, the child of, uh, you go on and on. But, but nonetheless, we find that, uh, that Elisha turned and he cursed them. Let me ask you this. As we see the proprietary of the cursing was if, we'll throw that out there. If Elisha was wrongly offended and if Elisha, because of a personal offense, turned around and said to those, said, curse you, whatever words he used, was God obligated to send two she-bears to kill those 
people? No. God was, God's not obligated. Did Elisha train those bears and raise them up to be attack bears? No. That's a simple one. You don't have to think about that. He didn't train them up. He didn't raise them up. They were not pets on his leash. He had no control in reality for all practical purposes over those bears. Therefore, who was it that sent those bears? We must conclude that it was God. We must conclude that it was God that sent those bears and that these, uh, these young people that were mocking the man of God uh, for whatever reason were indeed due for the judgment of God to fall on their lives. That's the conclusion we must come to as we look at this. And so uh, there's a lot of people that will challenge that and will say, uh, listen, that, Eli that Elisha was wrong and that he shouldn't have done that. Listen, ultimately, it was God that was in control. And if you're going to disagree with Elisha, then it wasn't Elisha that sent those bears. It wasn't Elisha that, that, that commanded those bears. It's God that's in control of that. And we must be very careful against going against the judgments of God because as we heard on Wednesday night, that the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Listen, sometimes we look at the judgments of God and we say, that's a little harsh. I remember preaching and I was, I don't remember what book of the Bible I was in, probably Joshua. I don't re even remember. And I read about, about some, uh, some nation that, that God was judging and, and he allowed the, the soldiers to come in and they, they killed all of them. And somebody came to me afterwards and they said, don't you think that was a little harsh? And I said, I didn't order it. God did. And we have to understand that God sees the whole picture that we don't see. God knows the whole picture, and God knows even the heart that we cannot see. And God knows, uh, and, and listen, God is very long-suffering. God is merciful. We don't throw those attributes out just because we read of a, of a judgment where God falls, uh, or the, the judgment of God falls, excuse me, and, and the hammer comes down and people are severely judged. Listen, the judgments of God are righteous and true. The Bible says so. And so listen, when God does judge and we think it's harsh, we need to just be careful. Because we're standing on dangerous ground and sometimes God has to judge in the way he has to judge because he is righteous. And he's not going to make a mistake. He knows what he's doing. And as he judged these young people, listen, uh, then, then it must have been due uh, for the judgment of God to fall. And I'm reminded of the verse in Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 7. It says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. What an interesting verse, because in all reality, they were mocking God. They were mocking the man of God. They were mocking the message of God. They were mocking the office of God. And God said, oh, no, that's not going to fly. And God allowed judgment to fall on these young people. And, and I think they were probably young people. I don't think they were little kids. I think they were youth that could have been anywhere from teenagers up to 20, 
25 years old, it kind of refers to youth in that, that frame many times and even children old. And, and so I don't, again, I don't know, uh, but I do know this. God's never wrong in his judgments. And so we can see that and we can understand that. So we must align our conclusions to agree with God so that we're not standing in error. I hope that's a blessing and a help to you as we look at this passage. We stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Many, many messages that we can get out of that. Many thoughts that we can draw from that. Father, we thank you just for your goodness to us. Thank you for your word that we can study. God, that we can learn from. God, that we can draw closer to you through reading your word. God, I pray that you would just bless each and every person that's here this morning. God, I pray that you'd encourage them, strengthen them. God, help us in our lives to guard against apostasy. God, it's not the world that is concerned about falling into apostasy. It's not lost people that are concerned about falling into apostasy. The devil's not even worried about them falling into apostasy. It is born again, saved Christians that are serving you. That the devil, the world desires to see pulled down to their level. God, I pray that you'd help us to guard against apostasy in our own lives. And God, that we would walk close to you. We'd keep a good relationship with you. And God, we do thank you for your mercies. We do thank you for your long suffering. God, we thank you even for the judgment that from time to time is absolutely necessary. As a stark reminder that you are very much so alive and very much so in control and very much so aware of what is going on. God, I pray that you would just help us. I pray that you'd strengthen us. And we'll thank you for that. God, I ask all these things in Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and we'll have a short hymn of invitation. If God's spoken to your heart, the altar is open. Maybe you just want to pray and ask God to strengthen you. Maybe you want to ask for help to not apostatize, not go to the world, to stand strong. Whatever the need, the altar is open. Maybe you need to be baptized. Maybe you need to join the church. Whatever the need, the altar is open.